breakdown, baby. Subscribe to your award-winning independent community radio, bringing you coverage of community issues and events. This is Peter Base Camp. Welcome to the Little Red Tulangi Treehouse. As you said, I'm going to the East West Channel ticket, as it usually does, starts at 5.30am. The Lincoln Melbourne Authority have come here in the middle of the night and set up another drill rig here on Gold Street. The police were pretty keen to defend that with all their resources this morning. And I think for Australians... In order to know ourselves, really fully know ourselves, in order to mature, we need to understand Aboriginal culture. We need to embrace it and realise that in coming here, you're now part of the longest continuing culture in the world. We need your support. Subscribe today. Call 9419 now. 3CR, radio that's independent, progressive and making a difference. And welcome to The Renegade Economist here on 3CR, broadcasting out of Melbourne, Australia. The show that hones in on the power of landlords, bankers and privatised monopolies. And that is going to be pretty much our theme today, looking at the power monopoly where a single corporate entity if we're talking about uh, private monopolies, is able to control a crucial resource or product and from that control force up prices higher than the margin of production, which uh, generally entails some unearned income. And uh, it's that unearned income that is such a concern for, for us we renegade economists as we zero in on uh, just why it's so difficult for some people to uh, to put food on the table and uh, for others to uh, really take it easy. And uh, Sir John Richard Hicks said, the best of all monopoly profits is a quiet life. And that is certainly the case uh, for uh, someone we're going to be looking at today, Manuel Matty Maroon. But uh, we'll get to that soon. Uh, I'm uh, concerned about uh, primarily the land game here on The Renegade Economist, primarily because it is the most crucial resource we all need to uh, to live, to breathe, to uh, to walk on, and uh, when the value of Australia's land continues to escalate, uh, valued at over five trillion dollars, and with the Australian Stock Exchange at just one point five trillion dollars, which entails all of the uh, defence operators, all of the oil companies, the mining companies, uh, the listed real estate companies. The banks, all of the big boys, they all equate up to $1.5 trillion. But of course, the land market itself is worth triple that at least. So that's why it's so important to get it right. And uh, that's why tomorrow night we are launching, finally, after uh, probably three years of uh, work behind the scenes, uh, myself and my colleagues Anne Schmid and Jess Wright have worked furiously to uh, convince the ATO and the Australian Charities uh, uh, Commission that our organisation is uh, worthy of a tax-deductible status. So, um, yeah, it's funny that uh, we, we're we finally in this game, uh, a group that talks about tax exemptions. Well, if ever there was uh, some sort of tax incentive needed, it's one to shine the light on the incredible inequities delivered by these monopolies, delivered by this uh, 
corrupted economic system that ignores vacant properties, that rewards people buying and selling, uh, flipping bits of paper, but uh, penalises us for working and penalises us for employing people. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, just a, a ballistic point in time on this planet and uh, we're going to be excited to share with our members, our uh, our favoured supporters and any 3CO listeners who would like to attend uh, at the Prosper Australia Research Institute launch on tomorrow night, Thursday, May 21 from 6.30 to uh, 8pm at LSX, that's 285 Lenox Street, Richmond. LSX, of course, is our new co-working space that uh, we operate out of alongside probably uh, eight or nine different other small businesses. So very interesting melting pot there as uh, all sorts of tips and tricks are exchanged over the lunch counter. So tomorrow night will be a bit of a behind-the-scenes look at what we have coming up in our uh, production agenda, the sort of uh, research we are uh, uh, engaging in and what we have planned for the future. So, uh, yes, back to the land story. Uh, I've been surprised to see that just last weekend a five-bedroom home sold for $1.6 million in Caroline Springs, which is on the western side of Melbourne, not the um, ritziest community you could uh, think of here, Um, very much uh, sort of aspiring middle-class type community, Uh, pretty recent sort of development in the last 15 or 20 years, and there a five-bedroom McMansion-like setup has been sold for $1.6 million, $1 million more than the median average for that suburb. And when you consider it's probably 45 to 50 minutes away by car, it's, uh, you know, it, it's not blessed by location, nor is it blessed by um, natural beauty. doesn't have uh, huge uh, community facilities there, but it's, it's yeah, a pretty plain Jane suburb. So to see a place there going for $1.6 million, my oh mind, that is going to demand two income earners to be earning over 100 k each almost to service that sort of setup. And uh, Leanne here in the background is um, pulling apart some of the microphones that were in operation at the last show. So um, hello, Leanne. Good to have you uh, here on the Renegades. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, we, we're just gobsmacked by what's going on in the Australian real estate market. And that's why we're hoping we can tap into some of these private ancillary funds, these massive uh, trust funds that have been set up by uh, wealthy benefactors who are looking to assist the Australian way of life, maintain our sort of independence from this neoliberal agenda, from the sort of uh, dominance that these monopoly powers have had over uh, public policy and from that uh, influencing just who pays the tax and uh, on what sort of uh, base that is um, calculated from. So, uh, yeah, I was also interested to see that the recent Senate housing affordability inquiry report was released 
Friday afternoon before the budget. So um, we haven't had much time to digest that, but uh, it's certainly uh, full of top-notch analysis and uh, some 486 pages, which I will put on our show notes with some key quotes uh, from uh, my colleague, David Collier, uh, Cameron Murray, who's been on the show before, certainly um, referenced Saul Leslake, the who's who virtually of those concerned about housing affordability were quoted in this extensive document. It covered many of the issues we talk about here on The Renegade Economist, including self-managed super funds, interest-only loans, a little bit about uh, residential-backed mortgage securities, the derivatives market, but the housing supply myth seems to have survived and still that uh, prevalence that we're not building enough houses is uh, dominating mainstream analysis. And I can see uh, some support for that, certainly in Sydney. But when you look at some of the other states and what's being built there, it's surprising that housing prices aren't dropping compared to population growth rates, which uh, Philip Seuss and Paul Egan have dispelled quite well with uh, some of their uh, analysis of demographic growth versus uh, dwelling growth. So uh, the HIA, though, they're well-resourced operation. They always have their press releases out some uh, five minutes after the Reserve Bank uh, announces their latest interest rate decision. They must have uh, a dozen people working for them. My, oh, my, I wish we had that those sort of resources, but their uh, national outlook for housing was released over the week, and they're showing that... Uh, Uh, There's been an increase of 12.9%, well, it's forecast, uh, to bring commencements to an all-time high of 205,500 for the third consecutive year of growth in uh, 2014-15. So uh, that's a long way from the sort of 140,000 houses a year we were producing four or five years ago. So that's uh, fantastic. The housing industry has been able to deliver that extra capacity, but... uh, Whilst they say that uh, dwelling commencements will fall by 10.6% in 15-16 with a further reduction of 4.7% in 16-17, the bulk of decline will be concentrated in the multi-unit market segment. So uh, apartment uh, supply will drop in the coming years. So uh, we're going to be very interested to see how that plays out. But uh, for me, the whole housing supply debate is one that ignores the role of speculative demand. And earlier this week, the head of uh, ASIC, uh, Medcraft, I think Greg Medcraft, um, announced uh, pretty well nationally that uh, uh, the Australian property bubble was at uh, worrying levels. And this led to all sorts of furious uh, elements of denial from the housing lobby. Uh, And of course... The NAB was in there where their chief economist, Ellen Oster, says no bubble exists in Sydney or Melbourne. Traditionally, you'd expect to see the ability to borrow against the house price would be historically high. You'd expect to see very fast growth in credit funding it. And uh, quite quickly, Lindsay David and Brian Kavanaugh and a number of uh, our colleagues online uh, put up some powerful graphs to show just how the rise in household prices has been mimicked by the growth in mortgage debt. 
And it's the banks funding that incredible debt, funding some poor family to the tune of $1.6 million for a home uh, where in Caroline Springs where they're going to spend some 50 to 60 minutes each way to a, uh, a job that pays them enough to uh, justify the sort of mortgage price they're paying. So, uh, goodness me, there goes uh, you know, another 20 hours of your week in commute time. So I just wonder how some of these bankers uh, can think they can get away with these sort of commentaries in the online era where we can quickly reference and share via our Twitter accounts such as at Earthsharing or at Don't Buy Now just what is happening out there. So uh, on top of that Senate housing inquiry, two more government inquiries have been announced. And at the federal level, there's the inquiry into home ownership, where this will be chaired by former tennis player and John Davis Cup captain, MP John Alexander, bringing a new level of critique, I'm sure, into the housing ownership debate, where the terms of reference include current rates of home ownership, demand and supply drivers in the housing market, the proportion of investment housing relative to owner-occupied housing. Let's put that in uh, capital letters. Uh, The impact of current tax policy at all levels. We'll put that one up there too. And of course, opportunities for reform. So uh, this committee is uh, seems rather hurriedly announced. The deadlines are until June 26. Hopefully some of you listeners out there can trigger off some submissions to uh, the federal government and uh, keep pushing for the sort of tax reform we advocate. And that is one off our wages, off our food, and onto the naturally rising value of the earth. And I... I nearly choked on my uh, three o'clock cup of tea yesterday when it was brought to my attention that Joe Hockey in Adelaide interviewed on the advertiser, Murdoch's uh, paper over there, had said that uh, the current South Australian tax inquiry that Joe Weatherall had pushed forward where he'd very bravely said, look, we're open to all sorts of radical tax reform and his headline reform was one of our top policy priorities and that was to replace stamp duty with land tax. Well, Joe Hockey came out and said that is exactly what the South Australian government should be doing. They should push and benefit from the early adopter process, uh, early adopter advantage of switching away from these damaging stamp duties, which uh, if our newfound friends in Caroline Springs realise that that one hour commuting each way to work was a killer, let's sell up and uh, move closer to where we work, well, they're going to be facing some sort of $50,000 stamp duty fee they're going to have to fund uh, to move house at least $50,000. If they were to buy a similar sort of house, it's probably closer to seventy dollars or $80,000 in stamp duties to the state government. So uh, instead of having that penalty there, uh, we should be utilising land taxes where in the South Australian example, people would pay some $1,200 a year based on the median house price. And uh, when you wanted to move, there would be no stamp duties And at the same time, that $1,200 impost would put light a little fire under all of those speculative vacancies we talk about, all those empty houses, and uh, 
push some of those uh, investors to putting those properties onto the market because uh, they know they've got to cover this $1,200 in land tax and probably a similar amount in council rates. So that's what we need to do. We need to move away from these mobile uh, taxes. Uh, you know, Google and uh, Apple are just making a mockery of uh, what the so-called modern tax system is capable of. The double Dutch Irish sandwich manoeuvre where... Um, Money's uh, triggered through uh, Irish companies and pays, uh, I think, about a 12% tax rate compared to the 30% here. Well, they don't even pay the 12% in Ireland because they quickly flick it on in a tax arrangement deal over to the Netherlands and uh, they pay even less over there. So uh, we've heard about uh, BHP paying uh, less than 1% on its uh, company taxes after spending all those billions of dollars uh, promising us during the minerals resource rent tax debate that uh, they were good corporate citizens came out recently at the senate inquiry into uh, uh, multinational companies that uh, indeed they weren't paying that sort of level of money so uh, just an absolute killer what's happening to uh, uh, public policy in the hands of these corporate controllers and it's not until more and more people can pick up on what we're talking about here where this sort of language you'll find on our websites at earthsharing.org.au, prosper.org.au, uh, macrobusiness.com.au. Uh, you can pull apart and uh, shine the light on the miscommunication, the fallacies that are pushed justifying privatization, justifying sort of rent-seeking that is uh, costing us so much. So, uh, yeah, let's have a listen now to uh, a debate that continues in America. In a few months, I'm going to be lucky to uh, visit America. I'm going to be visiting L.A., hopefully Silicon Valley, Detroit, and New York. And uh, in Detroit, there's uh, an amazing monopoly that goes on between, between Detroit and Canada. And have a listen to uh, this guy Manny Maroon and how he tries to corrupt public policy. Here's why Michigan voters are voting yes on Proposal 6. There's no such thing as a free bridge. Eventually, we the people are going to end up paying big for it. I'm tired of the excessive spending. Quit being so arrogant with our money. That's our money that the politicians are spending. There's a huge Michigan debt clock that's ticking and getting bigger all the time. We can't go out and start building bridges. Our grandkids are going to have to pay that debt off. I'm voting yes. I'm voting yes. The people should decide. Tonight on Let It Rip, we begin with one of the richest yet reclusive men in Michigan. He rarely grants interviews, but tonight, billionaire bridge owner Matty Maroon is not holding back. Not about his bridge, not about all the property he owns, and not about his intentions. Manuel Matty Maroon spoke exclusively to Fox 2's Charlie LaDuff. You were trying to stop a, a public competing bridge. You lost. You spent a lot of money. You now have a war with the governor. Now what? Are you going to lay down and let him build the bridge, or are we opening another chapter here? Well, I, I, I'd like to say this. First of all, I don't think it's possible for them to build another bridge. they got too many problems. So why spend $40 million fighting something that they can't build anyway? Well, I, I just don't want them to mess our bridge up. I want to have our own right-of-ways, which were guaranteed, I thought. But maybe they aren't. I don't know. 
You've been accused that those ads were misleading, that, that the governor says all costs will be covered by Canada and our, our contribution will come out of the tolls. And you're saying that's not true? Well, well, it's not true at all. Mr. Matty Maroon. This bridge is my bridge and no one else's. From Detroit City over into Windsor. Matty Maroon wants to change our Constitution so he can keep the $100 million he makes on his bridge monopoly each year. His proposal could stop every bridge project in Michigan, potentially killing over 25,000 jobs. All for one billionaire's monopoly? Don't forget to pay the toll. Vote no on Prop 6. So there we have Matty Maroon, who owns the bridge that controls some 25% of trade between America and Canada. And, uh, yeah, there's been all sorts of pressure on him to build different on-ramps to remove the bottlenecks, but apparently the road it goes past uh, drives straight in front of uh, his lucrative duty-free store and some fuel pumps there. So uh, uh, he even has rigged up some way to have this fuel that's untaxed. So uh, he's got the mother, you know, the mother of all monopolies there in Michigan, $100 million a year for operating a bridge. And uh, the federal government have come in and said, look, we're going to negotiate directly um, with Canada. We've got the governor of Michigan on side and we're going to break this monopoly open. Of course, Maroon opened some of the land where this uh, new competing bridge is publicly owned bridge is going to be operating so he's uh, trying to fight in the courts the uh, uh, sort of uh, compulsive acquisition orders that have been placed on on his operation he's been sent to jail before he's a real uh, maverick but uh, hopefully he'll be pulled into line and the cost of business will drop because uh, the tolls he's charging are as I mentioned at the top of the show above the cost of production so he's claiming these monopoly rents these un incomes and that's where the tax base should be uh, placed to discourage this sort of activity and uh, by doing so it recognizes that perhaps if those profits are taxed away they can use those taxes to build another bridge to meet with uh, local demand. So uh, we mentioned in our budget story last week the dangers of the privatisation of the Australian Rail Track Corporation. Well, David Irwin, a director of Pacific National, uh, has also warned about such privatisations. And he talks about how while much of the freight industry would like to see more freight moved off the roads and onto rail, commercial ownership of the Australian Rail Track Corporation, the ARTC, may not go hand in hand with that objective. Wherever there is a commercial owner that is looking for commercial returns, I suggest that for much of the traffic across the country, the cost of access will go up, not down, Mr Irwin said. And uh, Irwin uh, highlighted one of the key problems of privatising natural monopolies like rail networks is that without a proper regulatory environment being put in place, such privatisations merely shift a public monopoly to a private monopoly, raising costs for end users. And uh, that is the problem. When uh, costs go up, it makes 
it penalizes the entire society. Our uh, export competitiveness goes down, and that's what seems to uh, be part of the agenda. But then we've got the Reserve Bank talking down the exchange rate. We've got uh, a fascinating debate going on in the mining sector where the guy who was the pinup boy fighting against the minerals resource rent tax, uh, sort of a Richard Branson-type uh, commentator in Twiggy Forest, has had the utmost goal to uh, launch a campaign against uh, the BHP and Rio for flooding the market with too much supply and uh, he's engaging in the sort of astroturfing you could only imagine. He's set up a website called OurIronOre.com, OurIronOre.com, and this is a guy who battled against us all sharing in the millions and billions of dollars that he and his colleagues in the mining industry have benefited from. He uh, now... uh, um, has people uh, begging at his feet for philanthropic grants. You can guarantee I won't be applying for any from him. But uh, uh, Forrest is upset because uh, he's citing comments from BHP Billiton Iron Ore CEO Jimmy Wilson that uh, we're oversupplying at the moment and we'll oversupply in the medium term. And Rio Tinto CEO Sam Walsh declaring a lot of my friendly competitors are going to disappear. And so... Uh, uh, Twiggy is arguing that, uh, uh, you know, basically we should be doing what uh, some of the OPEC oil cartel is doing and working together to cap supply and uh, push prices back up. But that's uh, not what he was doing a decade ago. He was all about government getting out of the way, removing the environmental checks and just digging this land up and uh, making a killing for it. So it's ironic that uh, someone who was advocating small business is now looking for a parliamentary inquiry into predatory volume behaviour and distorting the free market. You know, here he is complaining about lower prices. Well, isn't that a good thing? That's what economists really want. That's what society wants. Uh, uh, In a way, undoing the sort of debate he pushed uh, during the minerals resource rent tax. So, uh, you know, this strikes at the heart of the revenue-raising system where many organisations find themselves wanting this sort of easy money that the iron ore industry has benefited from. And now that it's all over, Twiggy is crying about it and... uh, it's just uh, oh, it's so enraging that uh, he can still get major quotes in the paper and he's hiring all the same people that were hired uh, by the uh, the gold uh, industry who were complaining about royalties last year. So it's uh, just a, a standard play now that we see when uh, profits are threatened. But instead of the government threatening those profits, uh, it's a corporate warf- warfare.